0: Talking about the war in Ukraine, specifically, what events led up to the conflict? What happened here? What caused this conflict from a Western perspective and from an international relations perspective on what Russia might be thinking? What was the West's response? How could we have avoided this? And what should be done now? Thanks for joining us. I'm Jared.
1: And this is Jorge. Welcome to Conify again. Jared will take us a little bit of the brief of history of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, which is not a conflict. So what built up to the conflict, it would be more properly said. And then we're gonna have a brief discussion of what we can have done better to avoid this conflict as Jared mentioned. Jared, take us there.
0: Absolutely. So war and invasion is always an absolute travesty. uh, And it's an absolute disaster for global peace human life, and even U.S. strategic interests, in my opinion. The Western reaction, as I've seen it from the Western media, is emotional. And today, we're going to try to break it down and be as dispassionate and rational as possible. The stakes are high. Russia has the most nuclear weapons out of any country, followed by the U.S., but we really need to do as much as we can to prevent any sort of altercations with Russia that will put the lives and the security of Americans at risk. So we can still be empathetic with Ukraine and also explore and perhaps disapprove of the NATO foreign policy, uh, as we understand it, that led to this conflict. I think it's important to also mention that humans are tribal and political creatures. Uh, So it's really important for us to separate our emotions and just kind of look at what happened here and question our presuppositions to avoid war at all costs, to be measured in our approach and de-escalate and preserve human life. So first, I'd like to kind of mention that the conflict in Ukraine actually started uh, in 2014. And this conflict uh, really, in my opinion, seriously uh, seriously put us at risk from a Western perspective in our foreign policy. Uh, for one, in the 20th century, uh, the Western Hemisphere, obviously, that's our, our core strategic interest, followed by Europe during World War II. We Correct. Had Europe, uh, Europe First policy, uh, followed by Northeast Asia and the Persian Gulf. Today, with the rise of China, uh, our attention should be focused towards Asia. Uh, the Persian Gulf, since it's the flow of oil, to the east and the west, um, and lastly, Europe. Europe is less and less strategically important. European security can kind of look be looked at from the biggest players, the big Kahuna's, if you will: uh, France, Germany, Poland, Ukraine, uh, and Russia. So Ukraine is next to Russia, and Poland next to Ukraine. So, like, looking specifically at Ukraine, I think it's important to look at the ethnic breakdown. So, the western part of Ukraine, they speak Ukrainian. uh, They're mostly Ukrainians ethnically. But in the east, it's more complicated. Uh, It's more Russian. Yeah, there's Russian speakers. uh, Ethnic Russians are a large population uh, in the east. You might have remembered the Crimean annexation by Russia. Their population is around 90% Russian, so it really was the easiest place for Russia to annex uh, from a geopolitical perspective, but also because their population was traditionally uh, Russian. It was a very strategic place during the Soviet Union. So we're looking at a country that is very politically divided, uh, terribly divided in a sense of uh, the proclivity towards civil war and just the sensitivity of a country that has different different groups and at the same time next to a a superpower like Russia, or at least a a previous superpower as it's been declining. I mean, Russia's GDP is only about the size of Texas. So it's...
1: It's a little bit less than that about the size of the state of Florida or something like that. But yeah, it's it's not a former Soviet Union, what it used to be, right? Um, But let's talk a little bit about also like how Ukraine became a country, you know, and how these conflicts start to, to develop between Russia and NATO and the West. So Russia, sorry, so Ukraine became a country after the fall down of the Soviet Union. They decided to become their own independent state uh, with a clause that non-formed Soviet Union nations will join NATO with the exception of, uh, I believe, East Germany because they were going through the unification. That treaty that was signed, I believe, with President Bill Clinton and the President of the Russia Federation at the time uh, during the 90s was not respected. And immediately, the United States and NATO started to try to add more independent countries to what we call now the Western atmosphere or the Western ideal politics. Um, At the time, Russia was in a rebuilding stage, so they didn't do much about it. Uh, Time and decades has passed, and right now they have strong leadership with Vladimir Putin. We cannot deny the fact that he's a strong leader too. And basically he's trying to not get back the Soviet Union or the greater Russia, but try to expand his geopolitical influence over the former Soviet countries.
0: He basically made a really big concession to the West, uh, the Western powers to say Ukraine can become its own country with a uh, with the strings attached that we wouldn't have a foreign policy that would continue to push our influence uh, into Eastern Europe, which Russia sees as a geopolitical threat. So this is part of the reason why Ukraine is a very uh, is a badly divided country in that sense. Like cities in the west in Western Ukraine, uh, being mostly Ukrainian, they support the European Union. Uh, and in Eastern Ukraine, they have very little interest in joining the EU uh, or NATO. So it's it's important to understand that when we talk about Ukraine and Russia, it's a little bit more complicated than that. I'm not saying that the Russians in Ukraine are necessarily pro-Russian or that they're uh, Russian sympathizers. It just means that their ethnicity and their language is Russian. And that's important to note.
1: No, I agree with you. And there are some cultural factors that takes into place. You know, no other people wants the Western lifestyle or the Western uh, influence that they're having currently, correct? And we have to take that into consideration. And I think sometimes the West tends to fail in the ideals. We tend to think that everyone wants to live like us or wants to have a similar kind of lifestyle goals and work culture environment. Mm-hmm. What well, that tends not to be the case.
0: All good. So I think it's important to note that Europe, uh, especially Germany, is very dependent on Russian gas and energy. You might have heard the Nord Stream Pipeline, uh, which is a pipeline from Russia to, uh, to Germany. Countries like France aren't as dependent on Russian energy because they're, uh, they receive a lot of their power from nuclear sources. Uh, and they're just also further further west. Uh, another thing to look at is, so the oil is one big geopolitical aspect of why Russia might get involved here. And another is uh, having annexed the Crimean Peninsula, the Ukrainian side uh, basically blocked their water supply uh, with concrete. And that is the main source of water in Crimea. So there's also, uh, you know, Crimea is a very arid environment otherwise. So there's a a huge uh, resource uh, need in Crimea to get the water, to get water from the Ukraine. So this is part of the, if you look at where Russia's invading, that's another aspect to look at. So... Setting aside the geopolitical aspects, let's kind of discuss the the causes of conflict.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we all can agree that the cause of conflict is the increasing influence of the Western atmosphere and what it used to be the former Soviet Union states. And also, there's a huge amount of population and influence from Russian, for former Russians, living in those former states that don't want to have this type of lifestyle or ideas. Uh, And they like a different way of living that sometimes we train to not to respect. Um, I think that sets the stage for the conflict. Of course, there's resources and more involved, but that's the beginning of the conflict. I I would think so. What would you think, Jared?
0: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even necessarily say respect. I would just think that you know, if you are a Russian living in the, in the Ukraine, you're a minority population. So if you feel like you are being uh, not treated well under the current Western regime, uh, for example, in 2014, after the Orange Revolution, uh, there was a series of laws that prohibited uh, the rights of minority languages and the minority Russian population. And that was just another factor to pushed a lot of those russians towards more uh, separatist uh and russian identification so a lot of this isn't just a respect of like oh we're like we have to be ukrainian or we have to be russian it's also uh the fact that i think from the west we look at ukraine like it is this this bastion of freedom and it's um and you know it's a it's just like another Western democracy, but Ukraine is. It is it's not. not. It's a. It, it, there is a lot of corruption in Ukraine. There's a lot of issues uh, in Ukraine still, and the U.S. played a large part in uh, in that Orange Revolution, the uh, Maidan coup in 2014. So maybe that we can discuss that in a second here, but yeah. Really, in summary, like the deepest cause and the most the, the, if if we really look at this is that the us wanted to make Ukraine into a Western bulwark uh, on Russia's border, like a security force. <laughs> and the aim of the United States and the European allies, i e NATO and the EU, is to peel Ukraine away from the Soviet system and incorporate it into the West. The issue here is that Ukraine is really close to Russia. Like if you look at a map, you'll see that it really juts into Russia and it's very close to Moscow. So there, so our U S strategy of going around the world and promoting democracy and toppling regimes, this, this might not be the best idea for the U S in terms of security and actually protecting us, and this is an issue I have with the u s foreign policy being on the offensive rather than a u.s defense uh, and I th- I would argue that we escalated the tensions here because all of the powers that uh, you know I mean this this is very far from the United States, so you, if you're, right. if you're Russia, why is the United States involved? in toppling regimes when this is a former Soviet country and why why can't the leaders of that country be pro-Russian? Like they might be corrupt. They might, obviously, I'm not saying that it's good to live under a Russian regime. I love Western values and I love my country. But the fact that we have our priorities in Eastern Europe, I question this. Uh, we've continued to expand NATO. The first, uh, as what they would say in uh, international relations, the first tranche was in 99 with Poland, Czech Republic, and Hungary. And then the second tranche tranche in 2004 was in the Baltic states, Romania, Bulgaria. We're continuing to press eastward. Uh, and these were small states, so the Russians were less willing to... Uh, to intervene here, like they, they really were not seen as an aggressive force uh, before 2014. Uh, one of the major escalations that led to this 2014 crisis uh, was the Bucharest summit in April 2008, and this caught a lot mm-hmm. of Western forces, the Obama administration, uh, and NATO allies. Uh, it with uh for lack of a better term they caught they got caught with their pants down Uh, we wanted to welcome ukraine and georgia to join uh join nato and the eu and the response of russia was pretty clear uh georgia and ukraine's membership in the alliance is a huge strategic mistake which will have the most serious consequences for pan-European security? That was the Russian's foreign minister uh, at the time. Putin also said that Georgia and Ukraine becoming part of NATO is a direct threat to Russia. So this was already this was 14 years ago. We already saw the uh, the pieces falling into place that led to this current conflict here in 2022.
1: Right. And before we go uh, for this first episode, I want to ask you, uh, Jared, why do you think Russia sees, thinks NATO is an enemy or is a threat to the Russian Federation? This could be your own opinion. Yeah, I think,
0: I I mean, I think on paper, like, does it sound great that we're promoting democratic values? Yes but in terms of but that's not the only goal of the US it's also to have pro-american and pro-western influence around the world and i think this was just a big mis- misstep from our foreign policy establishment because you i mean we never want to get involved in any conflicts in asia this is this is Clear. Like, look at look at Afghanistan. Uh, You know, look like both Russia and the United States. We did not do well there. You know, this is uh, basically a plateau region in Eastern Europe. There is many wars in this region. Look at Stalingrad, the the deadliest uh, battle in human history. Millions of people died in Stalingrad uh, during World War II against the Nazi regime and the Russian or the Soviet regime. So this is a basically what I mean by a plateau, you can't control it. It's uh, it's there's constantly invasions happening and it's it's very difficult to fight a war especially when Russia has more to lose than the United States. Right? Russia has a lot to lose here. Ukraine is a very important place for Russia in terms of oil uh, in terms of its uh, its geopolitical location uh, to the Black Sea so this is like this is a vital geopolitical place for for Russia and it's right on their border like if we if we look at the western hemisphere how do you think the United States would respond if other countries that didn't have our same uh, didn't from a geopolitical perspective every state is trying to support, what is strategically in their interest? So the fact that the United States is involved in this region, we have very little geopolitical interest. What do we gain from having Ukraine as a part of, uh, as an ally to the United States? Very little, I would I would argue. I would say that have like Ukraine. It's not like geopolitically it's that important. Russia. It is. So the fact that we've been escalating this tension by getting involved in the Orange Revolution, um, and we can discuss that a little bit more, but uh, this, I think, was a misstep from U.S. foreign policy, and I think it – for two reasons. One, I think the pure competitor or the more important uh, preparation that we need to deal with is is in Asia. It's with – the rise of China and the growing conflicts with China in the South China Sea. The, fa- the, yeah. so the fact that we're still trying to influence Europe, especially Eastern Europe, at this point in the 21st century, I think this was a major misstep and I don't think we have our priorities in order from a foreign policy standpoint in the United States. And getting involved in this in in this that uh, this coup. So the Orange Revolution happened on February twenty second. So in November twenty thirteen, uh president of Ukraine at the time, pro-Russian, he says no to a, a European Union deal. There really wasn't a lot on the table from the European Union. While in December, um, you know, uh, while there. Um, 2013, there was large demonstrations um, on the Maidan, uh, and protesters seized the city hall in Kiev. Uh, Basically, Putin wanted to extend a $15 billion loan to the Ukrainians, and this was just a better deal for the Ukrainian people. Uh, Like we mentioned earlier, Ukraine is an important geopolitical position. For Russia, And they want to keep Ukraine neutral or pro-Russian, ideally. Uh, Ukraine is, I mean, it's a corrupt country. And would it be great if it wasn't corrupt and it had the same Western values? It is. But unfortunately, when there's a large power like Russia right there, it's not necessarily the kind of conflict uh, and escalation that you want to potentially open yourself up to. Uh, so in in February, under this revolution, there were street clashes, leaving sixty six dead. And the protesters they refused the deal with Russia. And I mean this this was supported by the United States. This this coup. Uh, a deal was worked out for elections, and in essence, Jankovic flees the country, and uh, prime min and the prime minister was replaced with uh, more pro U.S. Uh, pro-NATO uh, government. After the coup, things escalated further. The parliament voted to repeal minority language laws, as I mentioned earlier. And Russian units uh, were already present in Crimea. There was a lease of naval bases in Crimea. Uh, that Russia was leasing these naval bases from the Ukraine. So... In essence, they didn't even invade yet. like They just began seizing the checkpoints in Crimea. So it was, from a Russian perspective, it was pretty easy to take Crimea with the large Russian population uh, and then additional Russian forces moved in. Uh, and they built a bridge uh, to Crimea. So now it's connected to Russia. Otherwise, it's, it's primarily, most of its infrastructure comes from Ukraine. So in March 2014, uh, the Crimean Parliament uh, votes to join Russia, and they held a referendum, and it was a blowout. I mean, there could have been corruption. I don't know, but Crimea, in essence, became incorporated into uh, uh, into Russia, and chances are that's going to stay like that forever. Just some final thoughts. The Monroe Doctrine is a core of the U.S. foreign policy. It says that the Western Hemisphere is the U.S.'s backyard. So there's no acceptable use of military forces in the Western Hemisphere that is not pro-U.S. We can look at the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, Without JFK, this could have turned nuclear, literally. Uh, Just imagine... China forming a military alliance with Canada and or Mexico. What would our response be? And another thing to, that's important to mention is before the invasion of Ukraine this year, Ukraine said it will develop nuclear weapons. They're, pro NATO government. So is the last question I'd like to leave with you before our part two episode is, uh, is Russia's response surprising? And how does the balance of power play into all of this? Would the U.S. do the same thing? Is Russia or Putin the primary cause of this conflict? Or is it NATO? More to come on next week's episode on Ukraine. Thanks, everyone.